Our scripture reading this morning is from Obadiah. On the day that you stood aside, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were like one of them. But you should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his misfortune. You should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah on the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their calamity. You should not have joined in the gloating over Judah's disaster on the day of his calamity. You should not have looted his goods on the day of his calamity. You should not have stood at the crossings to cut off his fugitives. You should not have handed over his survivors on the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Have any of you ever felt like you don't matter a whole lot? Like you matter to your family, of course, to your loved ones, to your friends, but when it comes to really making a difference, to being a part of a community or somebody who's going to change the world, you're just you. What difference can you make? feel like you're maybe small and insignificant, like you're never going to have the right words to say something that's going to touch somebody else's life. Maybe you're not physically strong enough to go build something big that's going to make a change. I remember when I was very first realizing that I was being called ministry, I told one of my friends, you know, if I can just change one life by being a pastor, if I can make a difference in one person's life, then it'll be worth it. And I remember that friend looking at me and saying, Julie, you're going to touch a whole lot of lives. <laughs> it's not just going to be one. All that mattered to me at that time, just if I could change just one person's life, make them love Jesus a little bit more, then my purpose in life would have been accomplished. I hope that I have touched a few more lives than just that one, but that still is really what matters, is that one life. This week, I've been thinking a lot about these minor prophets. We title them minor prophets, already giving them this little insignificant meaning. Nothing that they have to say is major. They're not Isaiah. They're not any of these big ones. They're just these little guys. We can't even pronounce half of their names. We don't even know where to find them in the Bible because their chapters are so short that you skip past them on these little thin Bible pages. Obadiah is really one that you'll skip past. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only one chapter and only 21 verses. I almost had you read the whole thing today, but if you couldn't tell from the reading... 
It's kind of an awkward one. As I began researching Obadiah, I was, I admit, I kind of picked this one because I thought, 21 verses, I've got this. I, we can do something with 21 verses. And then I opened up my commentary and I opened up my Google and I start researching. And you know what there is to find about Obadiah? Nothing. We don't know anything about Obadiah. There are 13 Obadiahs in the Old Testament. And scholars do believe that this Obadiah is a standalone. They do not believe that he's one of the other 12 that are mentioned. But Obadiah does not give us anything about himself. We have no idea if he was married. We have no idea if he had children. We don't know who his friends are. We don't know how old he was. We're not even real sure who his parents are. And they actually, scholars can't even agree on when he lived. We have no idea when this was written down. They do believe that perhaps it was written around the time of Israel's great suffering because that is something that he talks about, but we don't know for sure. So then my first question about Obadiah was, why did he even make it in the Bible? If we don't know anything about him and all he could write down was 21 little verses, why was this significant enough to make it in there? I think we all know that there are a lot of different authors and lots of different books of the Bible, lots of different writings that didn't make it to publication. They got thrown out because they were repetitive or because of other, lots of other reasons. But Obadiah made it in there. Why? I had to do a lot of digging to be able to piece together a little bit about Obadiah. And I found Obadiah's writings and story actually go clear back to Genesis. Does anybody remember those famous twins in the book of Genesis? Any guesses on who I'm talking about? You are right, Jacob and Esau. Clear back in Genesis 25 through 27, we read about these twin brothers that were born to Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. God had told Rebekah that the older brother, Esau, would serve the younger brother, Jacob. But as the boys grew up, their parents picked favorites. Jacob ended up becoming his mother's favorite. He was often found in the tents of his mother. And Esau ended up becoming his father's pride and joy. Now you can imagine in twins when it's very obvious that your parents have favorites. This is going to create a huge amount of competition, a huge amount of jealousy, probably more so than is normal than any type of sibling relationship. As a young man, Esau despised his birthright as the firstborn son. And so he sold it to his brother for a bowl of porridge. Even more surprising, Rebecca did not trust God in this story to accomplish his purposes. So she, she chose to interfere by deceiving her husband and scheming so that G, Jacob would also receive the blessing of the firstborn son. 
These two brothers, we're not going to spend a whole lot more time on their story. But of course, they end up going at odds and in feuds. And what ends up happening is this feud, even though they ended up verbally making peace together later on, this carries down through generation and generation and generation until there's this huge division. So we all know about the Israelite people. We've heard about them a lot. I hope we all know about the Israelite people. These are God's chosen people. But then there's this other nation, this nation of Edom. Now, unless you're really into history, and you've read a lot of it, or you've been to the Holy Land, it's a good chance you maybe haven't heard of Edom. But these two nations were very much at odds with each other. And Edom is the one that Obadiah is prophesying about here in these 21 verses. So there's the significance. This was a huge division. And there's a reason that he needed to fit or give this prophecy to these people. Because what was going to come was the complete destruction of Edom. Now what was happening in these two nations? I think we all know that Israelite people had what I would call disaster after disaster after disaster. They had a lot of struggles, a whole lot of struggles. They did have the promise of God and they knew that they had the love of God, but it took a long time to get to that journey. The people of Edom, they were living pretty good. And they loved every struggle that they watched the Israelites go through. They absolutely loved it. And so it comes to this time where this man, Obadiah, says, hey, you people of Edom, the final day of the Lord is coming and you are about to lose everything. Every single thing that you have, you are about to lose. Your drinking buddies that you have been partying with on the top of this mountain, they're going to betray you. That big mountain that you think you own, it's going to be gone. All of your finances, all of everything that you know, all of your power, gone. Wiped out. Complete destruction. And so during this prophecy, he's saying, you guys need to get it together. You've got to pay attention because whatever you have done to somebody else, it's going to happen to you. In today's language, I think we call that karma. Sometimes we wish that on other people. As I have reflected on these 21 verses this week, I think I have put more thought into these 21 verses than I have anything for a long time. Because I thought, how do you make sense of something in today's world that was so specifically written for a nation that no longer exists at a time in history that we can't even really pinpoint. This one little minor prophet that nobody even knew who he was. Why was this guy's message important to us today? And what I realized is that minor people, little insignificant people, the ones that you least expect, sometimes have the most to say to you. Sometimes it's in very few words. And so I'm so grateful that I chose Obadiah this week 
because I think that all of us in some ways can relate to Obadiah in our own lives. Times that we feel like we have something to say, but maybe we don't know how to put it into words or nobody is going to matter or recognize us as somebody who matters. We don't have power. We're not well known. Why would anyone listen to us? Maybe we can relate to Obadiah. But I think even more so, we can probably identify either ourselves or for sure our own nation as the people that Obadiah was speaking to. In our world today, I think we can blame it on a million different reasons, a million different things, but there is division. I think we can all agree that there is division. These things that divide us, we can't agree on, obviously, because that's the reason for the division. I think that COVID probably, as much as I feel like that's almost a curse word at this point, to even mention COVID or the pandemic, heightened our feelings. Every one of those big feelings that we had inside of us, it just put them into overdrive. We saw people be terrible to each other absolutely terrible, and they are still absolutely terrible to each other, just over whether or not they believed that the pandemic was real or not real, and whether or not to get vaccinated or not vaccinated. It was awful, and it's still awful, and we are still going through that hatred to each other. But then we all had this anger brewing inside of us and we all wanted to be right and we love being right because we are prideful people each one of us as we don't like to admit it we love to be right in everything that we do and so we let ourselves get divided even more because it was a political presidential campaign there's been governor elections there's all kinds of different things going on in our school systems we had Roe v. Wade. We've had a lot of stuff happen. Do you remember about the murder hornets and then the toilet paper shortage? There's been a lot of things that have happened over the last few years that if we were to write this down and 2,000 years later somebody was reading it, can you imagine the reaction? They'd be thinking about our history much like we're wondering about what Obadiah is talking about. But this is our reality. People are not nice to each other. And we are all guilty of it, no matter how good we try to be. There are times that when the other political party or those other people that we don't agree with, those people across town have something happen to them, we laugh at them. It makes us happy that they're going through something bad. And sometimes we say, well, maybe they deserved it. Their choices led them to this consequence. Sometimes, like I mentioned, karma. We wish for karma to happen. We wish for bad to catch up with somebody. And that is not the way that God wants us to be. This message that Obadiah is saying, it was a wake-up call to them, but I hope it's a wake-up call to us today. I think all of us genuinely, genuinely try to be good, loving people. We try to see what's going on in the world, but what we don't always see is the view from the other side. We see it from our yard, and then we critique the neighbors. 
We make sure and find that one brown spot or that one leaf or that one stick that hasn't been pruned and we focus on it. And then we tell our other neighbors about it and say, hey, did you see that over there? Can you believe what they're doing? And when that bad branch that they should have pruned finally falls down, we say, see, they had it coming. And we do that in our own lives with everything. This message from Obadiah isn't just about the big societal stuff too. This is about the little ways in our own lives, in our own relationships, in our own friendships. My husband can vouch for you that I like to be right in a lot of things. You know what I have found though? He's an excellent cook. And the dishes do still get done, even when he doesn't load the dishwasher the right way. He does a good job, but I don't like to admit it. And I admit one time with that dishwasher, he used to throw two of the dishwasher little pods in there and I'd say, it's a waste of money. Why are you doing it? If you only put one or if you don't do it right, if you don't rinse them off, then they're not gonna get cleaned. And I just waited for that dishwasher to get done so I could open up and find food still on the dishes because he didn't rinse it off. You know what happened? They were clean. And I was wrong. You got that on camera even, honey. <laughs> I was wrong though. And that is just a very small example of how our own lives are. We do these ridiculous little things to each other because we have this sense of needing to be right. This sense, <laughs> this sense of needing to be right. The sense of judging somebody else. Throughout our community, we judge other parents, we judge our school board, we judge the coaches, we judge our elected officials, and then it gets bigger and bigger to the county level, to the state level, and of course to the federal level. And this is not the type of people that God called us to be. The very last line that we read today in Obadiah, I've got to open it up here again. It says, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. As you have done, it shall be done to you. This reminds me of something that we have heard over and over and over again from the gospel. The golden rule, the one that we all know. That we should treat each other the way that we want to be treated. And when it really comes down to it, the whole point that I take away from Obadiah's message is that this is a big wake-up call. A huge wake-up call to realize that our way is not the only way. No matter who we are, we need to be treating other people well, to treat others how we want to be treated. If we were to put this message from Obadiah in today's terms and to put it into a small little rural Western community, we might be saying, you know, one of these days that good old boy system's going to be gone. One of these days your family is going to pass away and you're not going to have that last name or their fancy ranch to get you by anymore. One of these days your drinking buddies are going to turn their backs on you. You have to wake up. You have to be a good person. 
That was the message that Obadiah was trying to send to the people of Edom. And I believe that that is a message that all of us still need to hear today. We are called to do better. We are called to let the spirits fill us, to let our hearts be changed, to show love to others in every way, shape, and form, and to treat others how we want to be treated. So today, as we go forth, I would invite you to continue praying through this next song. We're going to be singing, Change My Heart, O God. The words, of course, are, Change My Heart, O God. Make it ever true to let me be like you. You are the potter and I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. And I would invite you all to let the Spirit be at work in you. To let your heart be changed to let this wake-up call from Obadiah speak to you. Let go of the pride, let go of the judgment, and embrace love. Amen.